Holy Horcruxes it's MongoCast, episode 35 for April 16th, 2006. At USA Network, characters welcome. You've got what it takes to be a star. Can you believe that? Because I sure can, no offense. Enter the 2006 Show Us Your Character contest to find out if you're America's most unique character and you can win a chance to be featured on the computer screen, the TV screen, and even the big screen. Enter MuggleNet and USA Network's character competition by visiting MuggleNet.com, then clicking on Competitions at the left. CYGoodaddy.com is the number one domain registrar worldwide. Now with your domain registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N, when you check out, and get your .com domain name for just six ninety five a year. Visit GoDaddy.com today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Andrew Sims. I am Ben Shane. I'm Kevin Steck. I'm Laura Thompson. Why, why am I always lost? <laughs> and I'm Jamie Lawrence. Honestly, I'm lost every single time. Before we go anywhere else, first let's check in with Mike and Tan for the past week's top Harry Potter news stories. From Studio 1A in... Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Micah, what are you doing? Huh? This is MuggleCast, not the Today Show. Oh, that's right. Starting this Wednesday, the National Portrait Gallery in London will display a new portrait of Dan Radcliffe, among 40 other pieces of artwork. Dan's piece in particular was created by Stuart Pearson Wright, who is most remembered for his depiction of J.K. Rowling last September. Dan originally posed for the sketch when he was 14. Not only has Harry Potter changed the world in a drastic way by encouraging child literacy on an international scale, but has also left quite an impact on the publishers of its books. Saturday's Guardian Unlimited said, Once, Bloomsbury was a small, well-respected, independent publisher. Now, thanks to J.K. Rowling's phenomenal success, it has more money than it knows how to spend. Speaking of J.K. Rowling, the Mail last Sunday criticized the Harry Potter author's recent article about our skinny-obsessed world and how magazines glorified being thin. The headline of the controversial article reads, If you loathe the skinny-obsessed world so much, J.K., why did you make evil Dudley Dursley so fat? Following this criticism of J.K. Rowling and her article, the MuggleNet staff felt that a response was needed to let them know what genuine Harry Potter fans thought about the issue. This reply was written by Andy and can be found in the Encyclopedia Opinion section. A new book written by Willa Shalit entitled Becoming Myself, Reflections on Growing Up Female includes an essay from J.K. Rowling. The book contains essays from 66 other women writing about the same subject. The April 24th edition of People magazine contains an excerpt of her essay. Girl Guiding Scotland, an organization that enables girls and young women to fulfill their potential, is conducting interviews with 100 inspirational women. Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling is among those being interviewed. The interview is scheduled for May 1st. Stanislav Ionevsky, Victor Krum, and Tolga Safar Kakarov's aide will be attending the Elf Fantasy Fair later this month. The fair will be held the 22nd and 23rd of April in the Netherlands. Stan will be giving lectures while he is there. Additionally, Rupert Crin, along with James and Oliver Phelps, will be appearing on the Joe Wiley Show on April 19th. That's this Wednesday. The show airs between 10 a.m. and 12.45 p.m. on BBC Radio 1 in the U.K. Finally, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix will be released in Germany on July 12, 2007. This is one day earlier than the U.S. and U.K. because movies in Germany are released on Thursday. That's all the news for this April 16, 2006 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. All right, thank you, Micah. Now let's get to a couple announcements real quick, and then we'll keep moving along. Uh, don't forget, MuggleCast t-shirts. 
You have to buy one or else you can't listen to the show. It's the new rule around here. We're all wearing our shirts right now. I wear them to school and I actually get noticed for once. Yeah, when the apples hit your head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also, don't forget... Uh, final reminder to RSVP for Lumos 2006, where our next live podcast will be held in Las Vegas, Nevada. RSVP by sending an email to hplive at gmail.com and then say, hey, I'm going with so and so many people <clears throat> so we can guess, well, not guess, so we can estimate how many people are going to be showing up. <laughs> guess. I don't think we want to guess. Guesstimate. Um, Why don't we just guess yeah. anyway? What? Instead of asking people to um, RSV- RSVP, let's just guess. Yeah, All that's right. not a bad okay, idea. Well I guess. Yes. Bad, bad I joke. guess. Bad joke. 500. <laughs> Moving on, there's a new feature over at MongoCast.com, and it's a little About Us page to feature everyone else who works on MongoCast, including our new MongoCast editor, JP, who also works over at Veritaserum.com and does VTM Live, which is Veritaserum's every other weekly new show. And the new Battles page is also where you can find a little information on each of the transcribers, because Mike is actually a poser. He doesn't do any of the transcribing. It's uh, a few other people. No, I kid. He's not a poser. He he leads the group of transcribers, and they do a great job, and it's about time that we feature them. So visit MongoCast.com, and there's a little tab that says something that relates to <laughs> Meet the MongoCast staff that we haven't put up yet. Alright, now moving on to listener rebuttals for this week. First one comes from Dariana, 16, of Fall River, Massachusetts. She writes, On episode 33, Jamie mentions how Snape, who lives among muggles, gets some essentials that he cannot just use magic to get. He mentioned that Snape cannot just walk into a muggle store and use galleon sickles and nuts, or canutes, which I pronounce nuts. But in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 4, at Flourish and Bots, page 57, U.S. edition, Mr. Weasley is all excited because Hermione's parents are in Diagon Alley. He says, what's that you've got there? Oh, you're changing muggle money. Molly, look. He pointed excitedly at the 10-pound notes in Mr. Granger's hand. So you can clearly convert muggle money to wizarding money in Gridgots. Love your show. Bye. So there's our answer. Does he mean actually changing it? Like, exchanging it? But because I doubt that there's a... Um, like a cash-changing place at Flourish and Blots. Couldn't he just apparate to Diagon Alley and get what he needs? The thing, the voicemail that said Flourish and Blots, didn't it? Oh, okay, anyway. Anyway, uh... Oh, right, okay then. Yeah, perhaps there is then. There probably is. That sounds like a good plan, yeah? I mean, a good theory. Alright, this next listener rebuttal comes from Valerie of New York. She writes, In episode 34, we were discussing Quirrell and why Voldemort was sticking out of his head. If you look at the end of book 1 on page 291 of the American version, you will see that Quirrell states that Voldemort placed himself on the back of Quirrell's head to keep a closer watch on him after his failed attempt of stealing the stone from Gringotts. Not because they ran out of dinner discussion topics. (laughs) Thanks and I love your show. There's another answer that we would have gotten to, except for we're not up to that part of Sorcerer's Stone yet. And we actually have a voicemail regarding that. Davis11 from Texas writes, You said they only use the Astronomy Tower in the fifth book, but what about in the first, when they give Norbert Hagrid's pet dragon to Charlie's friends who were going to visit Charlie in Romania? In the book, it says that they went to the tallest tower to send Norbert with Charlie's friends. Wouldn't that probably be the Astronomy Tower, since that would be the best place to see the stars? I think we were talking about classes. In reference to using the Astronomy Tower. Yeah, the tower. Well, when, when we said that the, we haven't seen the Astronomy Tower, we were saying it in reference to classes. Like, we've seen them in, you know, Defense Against the Dark Arts a lot and stuff like that, but not in astronomy or at the tower. 
Elizabeth31 from Florida writes, Hi guys, listening to you all talk about the release date of the next movie and what it might mean for release of Book 7. I couldn't help but think you were looking at it the wrong way. Scholastic and Bloomsbury are not going to make their decisions based on what WB is doing. They have their own bottom line and profits to think about. There's no way Book 7 isn't going to be a huge success, no matter when it's released. What will determine when we will see it will be how fast J.K.R. is writing, how long it takes to edit and print, and the logistics of getting it out and into stores. I don't think we will see them on the same day, but I don't think the same summer would be out of the question. Right. Um, actually, last week when I was listening to the show, since I was absent with my ACT studies, um, when I listened to the show... Some of you Weisenheimers on here thought you had it all figured out. You're saying, oh, yeah, there's no way they release them the same summer. Oh, no way. Oh, I know for sure. There's no way they release them the same summer. Well, you know what? You're wrong. I think so. I think you're wrong. Last time I said I thought you guys were wrong, I ended up being right. So I want to know. But anyways, I just think that when else is she going to release the book? She said, she said on her site around New Year's that 2006 will be the year... That she writes the new Harry Potter book, the lot, the final Harry Potter book. So I, I just can't see her waiting till 2008 to release it. And the books have to be released during summertime. I mean, it's like a tradition; it's unwritten rule. They have to be released during summertime. I'd be very disappointed if the book was released, you know, November or December. I just see it happening during the summertime. And it, it perhaps, it probably won't end up being, won't end up being July 7, 2007, which Eric seemed to be really gung-ho about. Yeah, a lot of people are. But I think it'll be sometime next summer, and I know, I'm pretty excited about it, actually. I'm, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to one month, maybe, you know, having the book released, and the next month going to a movie premiere. I think that'll be fun. I definitely agree, and I think that it all it would do is good for the uh, industry, because you know, the hype. You build hype, so... You know. Well, I disagree with Elizabeth. She's saying Scholastic and Bloomsbury are not going to make their decisions based on what WB is doing. They have their own bottom line and profits to think about. They have to talk to each other. Okay, but seriously, it'd be a big Harry Potter extravaganza for the entire summer. They're, they're going to make millions upon millions of dollars. Why not have? Why not release the book the same time releasing the movie? Because it's the book's going to attract a lot of interest. And then, of course, the movie attracts a lot of interest. And no, no. And then they're going to basically cross-promote each other, and they're going to generate revenue for each of them. They're interested to release them both at the same time. Yeah. Not necessarily at the same time, though. No, of course because not. Because then one profit can take away from the yeah, other. Yeah, no, exactly. They should do it quite a long time apart. They should stagger it by maybe a month or two. That's too soon. That's too soon. I don't think so. Well, why is it too soon, Jamie? Sorry? Are you, are you, do, you have, do you have some Potterphobia here, Jamie? Some what? Why, why, is, why is it too soon, huh? Because... I'm just curious why you think it's too soon to release the book and the movie. The hype from, from say, a film doesn't wear off before, you know, in just a month. It takes ages to wear off. You've got the DVD, you've got posters from it, all that kind of thing. If you release the book... Yeah, but they're not going to wait for the release of the DVD. But if you, but if you release... Um, the the book say a month after the um, film, the DVD would come say three no, no say um, a month after that, and there's no way the hype from the book would die down enough to to generate enough interest in people buying the DVD. So the DVD sales would lose out. You've got to absolutely stagger them. Here no here's where you're wrong, Jamie. Uh, I'm sorry, God. Why don't you tell me what's right? 
I, I am God. I am God. <laughs> I love you, Jamie. But here's what I'm saying. In a way, they're going to be able to cross cross promote each other. I mean, this is this is a Harry Potter phenomenon. There's millions upon millions of fans. They're, they're they're still going to be the same people who are the hardcore people who are going to buy out go out and buy the DVD. Except now, instead of going out to buy the DVD, they're going to go out and buy a copy of the book and the DVD, or they're going to go see the movie. I, I don't see... I understand what you're saying that it may be too much, but I still think it'll be the most profitable... Mo- yeah, the most profits they've ever seen. Why don't they release the film at 10 o'clock and re- release the, f- the uh, book at 10.05? <laughs> That'll confuse every single Harry Potter fan. <laughs> book or movie first? I don't know! <laughs> yeah, that's it. Kevin, you're going to say something. Yeah, how long does it take them to release a DVD? Don't know, like three or four months. Okay. Yeah. So, so if they release the book, and then a month later release the movie in theaters, then you still have plenty of time for the hype to die down. And the movie, the movie can hype the book saying go out and purchase a book when the book can hype the movie saying go out and see the movie in a month. I don't think that's right though because um, you need to have the hype concentrated around one thing you know like literature or, or film so like you see in the news for say two months after the book's release all things about the book linked to the book you see you see sort of awards f- for for the book, you see it on on shortlist. You see it on uh, opinion polls and all that, all that kind of thing. If you cross the uh, movies and and the uh, books, you're going to have sort of I don't know, sort of mixed news items, and they are going to take away from the uh, from one of them. Okay, okay, hear me out here. That this Mugglecast episode is going to make history. Okay, this this is this historical Mugglecast moment right here. I want all the Mugglecast listeners to get out a pen. And write this down. The release, the release of the seventh Harry Potter book, will be on June sixteenth, two thousand seven. Mark my words, because I, I decided. Okay, I, I have I have some inside information directly from Joe. Let's just put it that way. No, I'm kidding. No, I just have, I just have a I just have a hunch. Okay, that'll be June sixteenth, two thousand seven. And and if that's not right, it'll be released during the month of June. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure the book's going to be ready by next summer because when you take into account the fact that it took her three years to write Order of the Phoenix and two years to write Half-Blood Prince, I'm just not sure that she could not only get the book written in one year, but then you have to consider the two or three months of editing, the printing, the cover art, the chapter art, just everything that goes into getting it ready to publish. I disagree here. I disagree here. This is a Harry Potter phenomenon. Why don't we just have a fight? <laughs> Joe, Joe's, Joe's in a groove right now. Joe's in a groove right now. She's 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 soaring. I mean, I have a feel. I I'm counting on summer 2007. If I don't have summer 2007, I if I yeah, and I'll have to I'll have to spend the I'll spend I'll spend all of June at Andrew's house if it. Frankly, I don't want her to rush. I don't want her to rush at all. I don't think she's gonna rush because. I, I see it this way. She says she's all fine and dandy with how writing is going now. All right. So by the end of the year, she says, all right, I'm nearly complete and or complete like she did. Well, it was two years ago, right? Yeah, it was two years ago. Um, so then after that, there's about a six to seven month 
preparation time where everything is to cover the, you know, the publicity. The yeah, but there's going to be hype no matter what for both the book and the movie because they're both so huge. And if people are worrying about oh they're going to spend all their money on book seven and then they're going to have no money to go see the movie, they're going to be spending forty bucks tops, uh, food not included. To it's not the marketing that I'm doubting. I just. I'm having a hard time imagining the book being ready by next summer, just seeing as she only started writing it in January. Yeah, but, but Laura, if it's ready by next summer, I believe they're going to release it, whether or not the movie is coming out that... I don't think that's impossible. I don't think that's impossible at all. Okay, but another thing is that you, that you have to remember is that Joe was able to, with a remarkable turnaround from from Chamber of Secrets to Prisoner of Azkaban. I mean, I know it wasn't as 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 hyped as much as it is now, but still she was able to write those books within a year of each other. Yeah, but they're also much shorter books. No, no, especially from the transition the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was released in 1999. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was released in 2000. There, that proves to you that she's able to make a remarkable turn. But at that time she didn't have two children under the age of 5. It's not only that, Ben, but so so she said that she already took time off to do that, to take spend time with her children. So she's supposed to ignore them now? <laughs> yeah, she just ignores them now. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't ever talk to them. She just, leave, she just leaves them to her husband. Yeah, but I don't think it's the length of the book that matters. No, it's, it, of course it's not. But it's whether she has inspiration for it. You know, like but it's no, but it's gone. planned as well. It's planned. I think, I think, yeah, she doesn't play now, but I, th- I think she has plenty of uh, inspiration to keep her going. For her. yeah, but but you know what I mean. I mean, it's <laughs> what are you laughing at? You you can get in a walk out front of her house on the street, and uh, I bet there's going to be 50 million people out there waiting for her. And then she'll feel right. And another thing is, another thing is, we have to remember, we have to remember that J.K. Rowling. You know, you everyone knows how she is. She's a big planner. She has the whole series planned out. She knows what's going to happen. It's not a it's right. It's not a mystery to her. So she knows she has a good idea of what's going to continue to happen in each chapter. Of course, there'll be changes along the way, but she still has some some reasonable idea of what's going to go on in each and every chapter. So that's why I think that the book, if it's not released in, during 2007, I'll probably be really, really surprised. The one thing I'm concerned about that I think could really dis- delay this book is Joe finalizing everything. Because it's sort of like when you're doing a report or something and you just finish it and you're like, oh wait, do I have anything in here that I want to add in or take out? It's just like, because she's closing it all up, she's not going to be able to say anything else. I mean, she will, but not in its book form. So, I just think she's going to be really paranoid over, is this it? Do I really want to finish it with this revision and draft, you know? Well, she she knows she's going to have to let go sometime, though. Yeah. Go ahead, Jessica, don't worry. Um, it's completely different to, like, a book report, though, because, you, you know, it's going out to so many people. But, um, but... That adds to the pressure. It's, yeah, but know. also, she has to... Yeah, but, um... She has to go back and uh, go through every other book and make sure that what sh- she's writing in this one ties in with that. Cause, because it's been a long, long time since she bought out the first book. You know, she she just ha- has to make sure everything ties up, every single loose end, every single sort of, sort of theme that that she's had running throughout the entire books has to continue into this one. And then everything has to flow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a monumental task. A year is going to be... Of course, but it's the same thing. But but you have to remember, it's the same thing for book six. They should do all those same exact things for book six. No, it isn't exactly the same. That's not true. Because she has to close everything. No, she doesn't. There's no way she can close everything. She, she, she is going to close everything. She's, well, she's not going to close necessarily everything, but she wants to close most of the threads that she started. 
So, so she has to make sure she does a thorough job of doing that. Otherwise, people are not going to be satisfied with it. Not to mention, don't you guys remember right before Order of the Phoenix, uh, like the year before it came out, she was pretty much done with the book, but she said, I want a bit more of a tweak. And we didn't see it for another yeah. year. Yep. Right, but Order of the Phoenix was... It took her three years to finish that Yeah, one. exactly. Like, I'm just not sure... I, I, I know, I, I know. <laughs> I know, but... The, the, she had some serious problems with that one, and like what? I don't think yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if she was really pleased with the results. Of course, she had writer's block or something. I mean, there's there some reason it took her three years to write it. And I know a lot of people like book five, but for example, I loved book five. Emerson didn't like the book. <gasps> <laughs> Joe, don't worry, Joe. It was my favorite book. <laughs> know why people didn't like it but whatever no thing is i don't think because it took forever it took forever. well yeah it was the <laughs> it's the longest book in the series ben why isn't why sorry ben why doesn't she just sell her children then she can start writing all the time <laughs> that's what you'd like isn't it ben okay okay she can spend she can spend she can spend two hours a day Playing with the kid. Oh my and god! She can spend. <gasps> oh, ben. Then, then, then she can spend another the other, another twelve writing the, the last Harry Potter book. When she uh, um, she can't eat, she can't eat, she can't drink. <laughs> now moving on to chapter by chapter. This week we we will be discussing chapter nine of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. This chapter is called the Midnight Duel for an evil prank that Draco plays on Harry. Was it a prank or was Draco like tipped off? I mean, was, like, Draco planning on going? Well, Hermione said that Draco uh, tipped Filch off. Well, he could have been planning on going, and then he saw Filch, so he ran back. I don't think so. All right. So <laughs> so we start off... We start off here with the Midnight Duel, and, um... Oh, my God. Is that the British phone? No, it's not. No, no that's not. the American oh, phone. Hey. That's the Wow, Georgian it sounds phone. British. Andrew, you can't tell Amazing. your phone accents. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Sounds like it sounds like your phone. You call yourself a uh, professional phone. Uh, that sounds like a phone. From, that sounds like a phone from the 1950s. Does not. Like one of those that hangs up on. Sure does. All right. The first line when it says, the, the, "This is what I picked off first for it." When it says, "Harry had never believed he would meet a boy he hated more than Dudley," uh, I just uh, thought the word "boy" had to be kind of significant since he can't sort of hate Dudley or Malfoy as much as he hates Voldemort and now Snape. Alright, so so the beginning of this chapter is focused around Quidditch and Harry's first flying lessons that he has with Madame Pomfrey. Hooch. Pomfrey. <laughs> I looked around my room for a second. It's alright. I was wondering, did you guys notice that she has, it described her as having yellow eyes like a hawk? And I was wondering if it was possible that she was a metamorph magus or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, as a hawk, yeah. Yeah, but have we ever seen anyone whose characteristics change just because they were an animagus? No, I think it's just to symbolize... I think it's just to symbolize that she's a good flyer. I just thought it was... I thought it was interesting because we haven't really seen anyone else in the series who was human who had unusual characteristics like that, apart from Tom. What about Umbridge? Well, she has she has striking characteristics to a toad, but her eyes aren't purple. You know, it's I just thought it was an interesting. You're you're a magical person. There's 
You have magic blood in you. There's bound to be something crazy about you. Yeah, that's true. I guess. I, I have the inside track. I agree track. with Laura. I have the inside track. <laughs> we see people every day who kind of have sort of striking, striking resemblances to various animals. I mean, that's a human thing. Mm-hmm. You look like a dog. <laughs> oh. Thanks, Ben. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Laura. I'm just yeah, Ben, you look like a sloth, but no one ever makes fun of you for that. What was that? Uh, a sloth. I look. I look like a swan. <laughs> like a swan. <laughs> so, I'm so graceful. Wow. All right. All right. So, um, so Harry's in his flaming lessons, and one of the first things that I found most interesting in this chapter was the quote where it says, uh, "Harry picks up the broom, and he said Harry knew somehow what to do with the broom. What does this mean? Does this mean he is?" This, this is his first connection to his father? No, it just means that he's a natural flyer. It's natural. It's a natural... Mm-hmm. It's like the first time you get on a bike. Who, Ben? Who? Who, who can get on a bike and start riding? Well, uh, actually, let me, let me go on... Hold on a second. Let me go to my drawer and pull out my list of the names of people <laughs> who succeeded on the first bike ride. <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have an entire directory of people for you. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's people that can do it. It's, just like, it's like throwing a baseball. I'm just saying that some things come natural to certain people. Some people excel at certain things. Actually, I was thinking that this line was <laughs> a way of foreshadowing what was to come. Yeah, and Andrew, that's backed up by um, where, where it starts saying, Harry ignored her. Blood was pounding in his ears. He mounted the boom, uh, broom and kicked hard against the room, uh, against the ground. And up, up, he saw an air rush through his hair and his robes whipped out behind him. And in a rush of fierce joy, he realized he'd found something he could do without being taught. This was easy. This was wonderful. So, Ben, Ben, do you think that they should get some people just to climb into jumbo jets and start flying because it comes naturally to them? <laughs> okay, flying a jet. <laughs> flying a jet is a lot more complicated than flying a car, dude. What about just before he kicks off into the air, it gives a description of how bad the broomstick is. It says that um, ha- Harry glanced down at his broom. It was odd, and some of the twigs stuck out at odd angles. Do you think that's just merely a comparison with his firebolt? So when we get... To to see his firebolt and his Nimbus 2000, it just makes it even more impressive. Yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, but we also know that they're school brooms and that a lot of different people use them, so they're likely to be pretty beat up. I think it's reiterating that he has natural talent. Yeah, but is that... Agreed. And the fact that he's, a, you know, a first year and he's getting a position that normally, what, third years would get? Yeah, third enough, I guess. It's, it's showing that some superiority over that of third years, you know? Yeah. I also think it's something that Harry needed to kind of prove that he is special and he is talented because he feels like he's famous for something he can't even remember. I was going to say, why is the trophy room always unlocked? Is it just so people can walk in and admire them and say, like, you know, or Hmm. some other reason? I don't know. Maybe it's in a foyer, a foyer area. No, it's not. It's a trophy room. No, it's called the trophy. Yeah, it's called the trophy. The trophy foyer. It's called the trophy foyer. (laughs) (laughs) The trophy foyer. Now, Jamie, are you referring to the fact that people may steal the trophies or something? Yeah, yeah. People may steal them or, yeah, but... You don't think there's protections on them? No, there's no protections at all. They just have them sitting right out there in the open. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> but Kevin, um, if there's protection on them, um, why are other rooms locked as well? Because surely, surely there's 
um, like there can't be every single room in the entire thing because there's some rooms that aren't meant for the kids to see I mean for example the potion storage closet you need to have that locked you can't have kids snooping around the uh, to a first year but to a first year who um, who like doesn't know much magic a locked door is probably more powerful than uh, than incantations because Dumbledore's you know protection would beat even the most powerful of wizards but a first year like just a locked door seems simpler but going to any school I mean the majority of locked doors will be either you know systems rooms or administrative rooms where the teachers hang out yeah you know it's not yeah and the majority of the majority of yeah they're right the majority of schools also have their their trophies enchanted too <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> It's called an alarm system. You pick them up and it goes off. Well, maybe there's a lock on the the trophy cabinets instead of the, so they can still be admired. You get what I'm saying? Right. Maybe yeah. Jamie, made, Jamie made the incantation to lock it or whatever is actually on the the cabinets where you slide to open it, as opposed to the door to enter the room. Or perhaps there's a panel of bulletproof and spellproof glass that's just in front of it, and 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 a sheet of ultraviolet <laughs> glass so the sun can't damage the trophies. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm just speculating here, but it could be. No, but but seriously, what? I just think it was convenient. <laughs> yeah. What What's so unbelievable about there being glass around the trophies? Well, I think it, don't you think it makes logical sense that Snape could have just unlocked the cabinets? It's yeah, not it really does. rocket science. I know, there's, there's no use speculating on this, I don't think. Hey, Jamie, you bring up you bring up a good point about the locked doors, but in terms of of the specific the specific scenario the specific scenario with the trophy room, I feel that whether the door is locked, I was actually joking when I was talking about UV glass, Ben. I must admit now. Um, another thing I wanted to point out was that uh, there's a couple of references where uh, I think it was just Harry. Um, there's an, there's this automatic assumption, and it seems like it's probably among all first years that if you do one wrong thing, boom, you're automatically out of Hogwarts. Oh, a yeah. wrong thing? Did you say? Like, so, yeah, something out of line. Inappropriate. Whatever, like sneaking out at night. Like they were doing to meet up with Draco. Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah, you'd think that like, um, sneaking out wouldn't actually be that bad, because they can't expect you to, to like stay in... St- just like stay in your dorms all night. It just seems weird. If you have a castle, you should expect people to like like walk around. Like in at university where I am, you know, you aren't expected to stay in. You walk around. You go outside at four a.m. if you want to. You can walk around. Yeah, the but how old are you? I'm uh, eighty-seven. Ben, I mean Kevin. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. But n- another thing is is that like they may just they may they may act that way just because they don't want to screw up and make anybody mad. You know, if you know what I'm saying, you don't want to leave a, a poor impression your first time there. But yeah, but it just seems terrible that you, that they're locked in. You know, I mean, I, mean, I don't say locked, but they're you know in their dorms all night. If they actually needed to keep them there, why don't they put inc- incantations on them? I mean, of you know, it could be just in because because that destroys all the trust in because because Jamie that destroys all the trust involved. Because you know everything's about trust. If you don't if you lock him in there, you, you never you never really. You'd really be able to truly assess their ability. Not to, to mention, follow the rules. what if there's a fire? You just <laughs> yeah. locked all the children. In oh yeah. <laughs> oh, if there's a fire, you know that they. Can, yeah, that's Not true. Not to mention. No, but it's expected. <laughs> yeah. 
It's expected that students exactly, are going to Exactly, yeah, exactly. Out, it's, right. it's actually expected. When they install some nice CCTV cameras uh, hooked up to Dumbledore's laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbledore's laptop. <laughs> Dumbledore's laptop. <laughs> All right, well, okay, yeah, let's, let's move on. <laughs> well, no, I just wanted to say that I remember reading... Someone said, I wish I remember who it was, but someone mentions that it's for their own good. So there's some some idea. They they have an idea as to why they're supposed to be staying. Yeah, in. okay. Obviously, there's dangers in Hogwarts that so they want to keep them inside the the uh, okay. common yeah, rooms okay, fair enough. and bedrooms. Just because Dumbledore and McGonagall are, are shagging in the Great Hall. They'll be walking in on... Uh, <laughs> Dumbledore <laughs> waved his wand at McGonagall. Yeah. <laughs> All four uh, tables geez. flew to the side. Neville is sleeping by the Gryffindor uh, dorm room and Hermione, Ron and Harry walk past. Why did he say that the Bloody Baron had been passed twice? Well, no, no, sorry. Why had the Bloody Baron been passed twice? It seems a stu- like a weird quote just to include for no reason. Was there a reason for it that he came, he come past? Well, Mr. Skull... Um, well, does he some... Does he do some? <laughs> well, does he do some sort of patrolling along the no. quarters at night? Yeah, that's, that's what I think. Yeah, but he seems like such a nasty character. Do you really think he's been used for student safety? Well, he could be just he he could be just cruising around Hogwarts. What else can you do if you're a ghost? The impression I've gotten of the Bloody Baron was that he's kind of territorial, and we also know that he absolutely hates peeves. So it wouldn't surprise me that he was patrolling the castle to make sure nothing was going on. He hates him well, because he can't. I've can. gotten the impression that he's... No, 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 no. He can control him. He can control him. He can. Yeah, Kevin's he can. Kevin's Harry Potter books. But I have a feeling that he's that he's patrolling to keep Peeves, among other things, in line. Or he's just patrolling because he's a ghost and he's bored. And Just imagine, you would get so bored being a ghost. You'd be like, play tennis, but then you couldn't hold the racket up. Because it would just fall through your hands. Oh. Ghost tennis. I wonder if there's a ghost tennis. The Bloody Baron doesn't talk, right? Isn't he, like, nearly always silent? We haven't seen him enough to actually know if he's silent, have we? And anyway... Hmm. Well, I think he does talk. But not, I don't think Harry's ever heard it. Just something that happened at the end of the book. When Harry and Hermione and Ron... Or was it just uh, Harry and Ron under the invisibility cloak and Peeves was there and Harry put on that hoarse whisper and said Peeves the the bloody baron you know has his own reasons for being uh, invisible uh, Peeves no no he must talk because Peeves you know didn't say well you haven't ever spoken before what's brought this on it's true exactly wasn't Harry doing an impersonation yeah, yeah so Harry must have heard him before too now Harry could be just making it up right but, but he happened to be dead on though you know yeah Big coincidence. Yeah, really. Big coincidence. Mm-hmm. Like perfect example. Ben imitates Michael. Yeah, but he's heard him, Andrew. But you hear but him all the time. Heard Ben, but Ben's. You don't have to hear someone to imitate what's them. It? No? What, what's I you, never heard. What do you, mean you don't have to hear someone. You mean Ben just put on the Hey, Micah? Just on on. No, yeah. you can come up with your. You can come up. Listen. You can come up with your own impersonation of him based on what you see. He's some old guy. So what are you going to do? An old horse voice. Yeah, but sometimes sometimes images can be deceiving. Though, for example, Robert Lloyd Pack, I think his Roger name was. Lloyd he Pack. played. Uh, Roger, yeah, okay. He looked like he looks like a guy who would have a deep, booming voice, but in reality, he's like, "You will join the magical games committee, or else the goblet of fire has chosen four people." But oh my, what will we do? <laughs> All right, so 
the biggest part of this chapter comes when we're introduced to Fluffy the three-headed dog. Um, Draco challenges Harry to a midnight duel in the trophy room, like we were just discussing, and uh, Harry or Draco doesn't show up, and to Harry's disarray, uh, Filch along with Mrs. Norris both show up, and that's when they begin to run and run up to the third floor corridor where they get into the room when Hermione says, Oh, move over! And they do the little spell. It's it's a direct relation to um, the book, although it's interesting that they skipped the whole Midnight Duel thing. I think it would have been more interesting yeah, to too. see that. I know. That was one of the things that I really wanted to see in that What movie. about the... Um, we should talk about how Peeves talks to Filch in his sing-song voice. Now, I remember uh, that on the site... Somebody wrote that he just said, you know, it just said blah, 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 Peeves said in his sing-song voice. But I checked in the British version, and it said in his annoying sing-song voice. Do you think there's any reason why they changed it in the American version if they did? I don't know if they did. Can somebody check it? (laughs) Yeah, where is this? Um, Just before they enter Fluffy's Corridor. Um, let's see. It's just, they changed loads of small things. I just wonder if they really mean anything, or if they're just throwing lines for people to... In his, in a saintly voice. Sorry, in what? A saintly voice. A saintly voice, it says. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Where does it say that? Well, saintly is... Unless it says, should tell... Okay, one second, one second. Oh, annoying sing-song. I have annoying. Oh, right, oh, right, it is annoying. Okay. No, don't worry, then. I thought it was just sing-song in the American Well, I'm sure version. it's the same well, as yours. Not necessarily. No. Andrew has a special Andrew copy. No, it's not. Kevin got a special one. Oh, okay then. Well, yeah, that's just because... Um, that's why Harry, uh, Ron, and Hermione didn't get slaughtered as soon as they went into um, Fluffy's den because uh, Peeves' annoying sing-song voice put him to sleep. Good Things point. you may have missed. Oh, I didn't notice that. What? Are you sure? Yeah, it must be. Why do you think they didn't walk in and then just and and he didn't kill them all? He could be sleeping because he's trapped in there all day. Andrew, you can't say that. Maybe he's on his bloody laptop going on the internet. No, stop. Be real. (laughs) Stop with the laptops. Yeah. No, honestly, I think that that's a really big possibility. But it's it's a major plot point too. It's not like Peeves is in there cackling and being loud and annoying for a good, maybe a minute. That can't automatically put a dog to sleep. It's a possibility, though. Well, I don't know. When they played the flute at the end, he went to sleep pretty fast. Well, that's because that was... They knew it was a flute that could put him to sleep. And it says it uh, about Fluffy, it was standing quite still, all six eyes staring at them, and Harry knew that the only reason they weren't already dead was that their sudden appearance had taken it by surprise. I don't think that's true. I think... That's there to make people think that, but it's not. That isn't true. It's it's P it's P's annoying sing song voice. Surely um, Dumbledore put Fluffy there so that if somebody came in, it wouldn't think, "Wow, you know, who, who are these people? I'll wait for it for a couple of seconds, then I'll kill them." In case the person puts a spell on them yeah. or something. All right. Well, yeah, that's an interesting point. Very clever. And All right. So yeah. they run into. They run out. Uh, what's next? There's really no, nothing. No, there left. is. There's just um. Well, that's also one of the largest mythological connections in the series, because, yeah, he guarded the underworld. I was going to say that. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much confirming the whole thing about the grubby little package from Vault 713 being under there. 
All right, well, that does wrap up this week's chapter by chapter. It was a smaller chapter. There wasn't as much uh, detail to get into. Uh, probably because Eric wasn't here. He would have still been on page one if he was in this right now. Next week, we will be reading chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, titled Halloween. I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about in here. Next up, we have some general voicemail questions for you this week. Kevin, please roll the first one. Hey, this is Abby from Lawrenceville, Georgia, and I think I have an answer for why Voldemort decided to hang out on the back of Coral's head instead of some other random part of his body. Maybe because he wasn't very strong at the time, being on the back of Coral's head was the only way Voldemort could control him. I mean, even if he couldn't use the Imperius curse on Coral, literally being in his brain would probably have the same effect. I just wanted to know what y'all thought. I love you guys. Bye. But he wasn't actually in his brain, was he? He was just on the back of his head. Yeah, but you are... Did he actually penetrate his brain or not? But Abby still does make a good point. He definitely was not strong enough to support his own body. Some psychological effect on Quirrell. Did he have any power, Voldemort, then? Did he have, like... I mean, was it Quirrell that had to put him on his head? Or could he actually put himself on his head? Because Quirrell, I mean, instead of being... I mean, that must be a weird request. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, but it wasn't that. It was the fact it's Voldemort. You don't say no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if but if the fear say yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but if um, think of somebody really scary, a real life person. If Jack the Ripper told, if Jack the Ripper came up to you and said and said stick a knife in you, and he was just a face on the ground, you you wouldn't do it, would you? But you'd be more likely to do it if he was a real person who was you know massive. Yeah. Yeah, but think of it this way. Uh, Voldemort could have found someone else to leech off of, and then once Voldemort came back to his full power, Quirrell would have been the first one to get knocked off, so... Not to mention, Voldemort was um, possessing snakes and living inside of snakes. Just put him, you know, inside a box and nailed it shut until they found all the Horcruxes and they could kill him or something. I don't know. I think Quirrell was operating under the assumption that Voldemort wasn't going to leave him Yeah, that's probably right, yeah. Hi, Mocasters. This is Lauren from New Jersey. While reading Chapter 9 of Sorcerer's Stone, The Midnight Duel, I was thinking about all the times Harry, Ron, and Hermione went past the fat lady in the middle of the night. Why doesn't the fat lady inform someone that there are students out of bed? I just want to hear your theories. Thanks. I love your show. Is it her job, necessarily? No, but I think there's an element of sort of free will around Hogwarts. You can't have just every single person informing on, on each other. I mean, if you think it would be so easy, um, you know, with all the magic sort of um, occlumency, yeah, occlumency, um, uh, Patronuses, you know, talking to other portraits, it it would be so easy for everyone to know what everyone was up to, but it just would not work like that. I I don't think um, the school could get away with telling the portraits to inform when people did anything wrong. Yeah. It just takes away free will completely. Yeah, I think there's a uh, level of trust at Hogwarts, and it's dealing with the fact that the magic enables you to spy on someone yeah. almost exclusively. You know, you know, yeah. anytime, anywhere, you can spy on someone. So there's a level of trust that they have to maintain so people don't. I was going to say, I, fu- I think that it has something to do with who the headmaster is. Because I think Dumbledore just sort of operates on, you know, if I don't hear about it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think it really... 
bothers him that much if students are out of bed as long as they're not doing anything destructive. Yeah, but the headmaster is still um, accountable to the governors. I mean, it seems weird. I mean, if the it seems like the governors in Chamber of Secrets were all sort of nice people apart from Lucius because it it seemed like he bullied you know all, all of them into signing that thing for Dumbledore's dis- uh, disposal. But um, it'll be interesting to find out how much say the governors actually have. If any. Because it, it does seem like it's just Dumbledore that, you know, basically runs things. But I don't know. I think there should be more of a concern over why did the why did the portraits have to leave during the day or night? Because what if someone really needs to get in and perfect example was just here in Chapter 9 and no one's in there? <laughs> well, they don't have to leave. They choose to. Yeah, but if they had to stay there, it w- it w- everything would just be too perfect, you know? It would be like... You can't. It's basically a real person that you can't expect them to, to hang around forever, and, and it would just be too easy to, to do everything. If, it, if you know, what I mean, there's, there just seems like there's a degree of uncertainty with the magical world with stuff like that, and that's what makes it so you know different and interesting. Um, hi, I'm Chelsea, and I'm from Newfoundland, Canada, and I have a question for Mr. Ollivander. Um, at the beginning of uh, Foster's Stone, when Harry goes to Diagon Alley to get his wand. Jolvander tells Harry about his parents' wand, and he mentioned that James' wand was good for transfiguration and that he favored his wand. Do you think this means that he knew James and Sirius and Peter had become Animagus? Well, do you think? Thanks. Bye. Well, do you think that Ollivander can tell just from a wand if it's good for transfiguration? I mean, do you think that, like, uh, Phoenix Feather is particularly good for charm work or transfigur- for, uh, transfiguration, or that? And the dragon heart, uh, heartstring is good for, I don't know, uh, a different type. Or was it just that one person with what with a certain wand can... Yeah, I don't think he can predict how the wand is going to be used. But he said that the wand was good at transfiguration rather than that James was good at transfiguration. That's true. So it could depend upon what like the wand's core is and the w- way the w- the wood of the wand is made and how it's carved and stuff to determine maybe what spells it'll be best at. I I mean I don't think it will it'll make it really bad at doing certain things just maybe the wand will be better at excelling in certain areas like transfiguration. Yeah, that's what I think. And it, I don't think it necessarily means that the person the wand chooses is going to be good at that particular. Right. It's just it's it's like saying thing. if you give somebody, let's see, if if someone learns a skill, okay, like a, like a driving skill, they learn to fly an airplane. You you don't start them off with a big Boeing seven forty seven. You start them off with a small four passenger plane, and then you eventually they work their way up. You know what I'm saying? Well, also, uh, Ollivander said that Lily's wand was good for charms, but we found out in Half Blood Prince that potions was her best subject. Right. Yeah, but there's no wand work in potions. No, there isn't. But you would think that if the wand's best ability was the person's best ability that she yeah, would be true, best yeah. at charms. But it's like, do you think do you think two people with completely identical skills, you can have one with a better wand, so he'd win in, in a duel? Because Ollivander says that Voldemort's wand was, you know, you and exceptionally powerful. It's possible, but I think it falls more on the skill of the person than the wand itself. Right, but he's saying in a theoretical world, if... The two people have identical skills. Could the wand make the difference? Some wands, it just seems like, you know, you, thir- 13 inches, you know, it just seemed like that sounded like a really powerful wand for any type of work. It just seems like every single spell could have, like, 110% power, 
whereas any other one would only give it, you know, a certain amount of power. Right, but it also depends on... Well, yeah, we just... Sorry. I was going to say, it also depends on the magical ability of the person. I, I think it depends a lot more on that. I mean, maybe do wands have any effect on how fast the spell is transmitted, even? Or do wands... We, we, haven't, really, we haven't really seen the, the relationship between a person and the wand and how and how like the magic transfers through it if you know I what I'm saying I would love to know what one Dumbledore's got that would be very interesting to find out <laughs> had <laughs> you can't say that Kevin that's not right don't say that he's not dead yes Dumbledore's not dead hey Kevin Kevin he still has his wand it could be buried um, with him but he's not alive <laughs> Uh, wait, didn't they... No, I thought I remember hearing something that they burn it or something. Weren't we talking about this a couple few weeks ago? Yeah, they they don't keep it. They There's some ceremony with it. Really? Yeah. Oh, so nice. he doesn't have his wand. Or yeah. I can't remember where we heard that, though. We heard it on the grapevine. We just, we just made it up, Andrew. No, Joe... We're starting rumors yeah. hoping that it'll, they'll make J.K. Rowling's, Rowling's rubbish bin. Oh, yeah, she did. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. I forgot, we yeah. Com- we just completely forgot. She called on her yeah. bat phone. Alright, next voicemail. Hi, this is Sarah from North Carolina, and I was um, wondering how Hermione's parents get to Diagon Alley if they are muggles. <laughs> Thank you, and I love you. Bye. Well, Sarah, I think it's just something as simple as the wizards open it up for them. E- even though they can't see the uh, building? No, No, they can't. Hold on, I think... It's like the same idea. Could a squib see the leaky cauldron? I think so. I think once your mind has been opened to the magical understanding that you know, that you realize that the magical world exists and that you acknowledge its existence, then you will be able to see it. It doesn't actually depend on whether or not you have magic in your blood. But Ben, um, muggles can't see dementors. But, I mean, it just seems weird that if you're told what they are, it just seems weird that you can't see them. Well, that's a good point, though. Like, Miss, Mrs. Fig, she's a squib, and she can't see the dimension. She understands a great deal of the, the magical world, obviously. Either that, or or something about the wizard telling you that the location's there is sort of like a uh, secret keeper kind of thing, in a much larger sense. I wonder what actually makes a wizard, though. Is it like... I mean, this is going to get way too technical. But, like, I don't know. Do you think it's like didn't Joe mention genes? Isn't that something to do with the genes and dominant, recessive, and all that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she may have done actually. But does that mean it's like a DNA thing? You know, being a wizard, your DNA structure, L- like Spider-Man. Next voicemail comes from Kendra of Virginia. Hey, that kind of rhymes. Hi, Wildcats. This is Kendra going from Salem, Virginia. I just wanted to tell you guys about something I realized after reading Half Blood Prince six times, and that is that Snape can't be the Half Blood Prince. On page 337 of the U.S. edition, Lupin asks Harry how old his advanced potion-making book is, and Harry replies, I don't know, I've never checked. About a paragraph down, Harry checks the date on his book. He turned the pages, searching, until he finally found, at the front of the book, the date that it had been published. It was nearly 50 years old. Neither his father nor his father's friends had been at Hogwarts 50 years ago. Harry throws the book into his trunk and goes to bed. Just wondered what you guys thought. Thanks, your show is great. Bye. It was his mother's book. That's why it was old. It was second-hand. Really? Is that actually true? <laughs> that doesn't necessarily have to be his mother's book. It could be... Yeah, it could be anyone's book. I always assumed that it was his mother's, just because it just seems like it would make sense. It was at least some kind of second-hand book. I get that in book mistakes all the time. <laughs> Snape clearly is, you know, the Half-Blood Prince, but apart from him saying it and the uh, mother 
evidence. Is there anything else? No, yeah, but there's no doubt that he is. He's not the person to brag about some something that... No, no, I agree. So the evidence is him saying that he is a half-blood prince. Because he is. That is true. Mm-hmm. I think there was just a lot of confusion with people overlooking the fact that the book was old. That it was second-hand. I don't think a lot of people caught on to that. Because I get that in book mistakes so often. It's actually kind of annoying. <laughs> Alright, that wraps up this week's voicemails. And that wraps up the sh- Oh, That's wait. What saying. Wait. Why don't we just get rid of Aww. Kevin? And keep going. That's what I'm saying. Well, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, get okay, out. So I'm all set. All right, Kevin, leave. Okay, bye, guys. Leave, Kevin. <laughs> bye, Kevin. Bye, Kevin. Bye, Kevin. Oh, thanks a lot. Bye. We'll miss you. We'll talk about you behind your back. See you later, guys. Oh, thank God I can stop putting that act on. What act? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Kevin. Now this week we're gonna try out a new segment. We're gonna put it through our beta testing, which means absolutely nothing. This week we're going to try <laughs> a new segment that we will tentatively call Favorites, where we pick a one topic relating to whatever it is, Harry Potter, and we each go around the table and say why it is our favorite blah. So this week, how about we start with favorite actor of the Harry Potter series? Well, I know mine, but I'm going to get hate mail for it. <laughs> I really like Michael Gammon. <laughs> I think he is awesome. He's fabulous. Well, I think that he really portrays Dumbledore very well. I appreciate Richard Harris's portrayal, but I feel like Michael Gammon definitely gets more of the feistiness and more of the excitement, and I sort of see that twinkle in the eye more with him than I did with Harris. Laura, I'd actually have to agree, but uh, since you already said Michael Gammon, I will say Alan Rickman, like, you briefly mentioned because I think he has the same style that Gambin has. He's he's very I I don't even know how to explain it. He's very he, he really is a perfect Snape. Yeah, he's just <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> oh, he's just incredible. I just love him. Words cannot reach. Andrew Fangirls, Alan Rickman. Um, for me, I'd have to go with uh, Alfie Enoch. <laughs> Why's that, Ben? <laughs> it's a really random character to choose. Actor. His portrayal of Dean Thomas is amazing. Oh, jeez. I've never <laughs> seen such a good portrayal. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, um... It has to be Ivana Lynch. Ivana Lynch, I'd say. Yeah, she, she, she's the best actor actress I've ever seen. Wait, Ben. You shouldn't jump to conclusions here. I mean, we haven't even seen her in a film. Well, I was actually going to make a fan site about her. <laughs> Who, Ben? Uh, Who? <laughs> why would you do that? You haven't even seen her yet. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'll just jump on the bandwagon like everyone else. Oh. Okay, in reality, my favorite actor would have to be Robbie Coltrane, who plays Hagrid, because he does an excellent, excellent job as portraying, portraying Hagrid, and I think there's no doubt about that. Joe has said so herself, and so and she created him, so you can't argue with that. And for my favorite actress, of course, is Emma. Oh, yeah, you love her. Wow, I didn't see that coming. She's she's so darn pretty. Can you you give us a Rubius Hagrid impression? Oh, what do you want? I think they're perfect. Rubius Hagrid, keeper of the keys at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Well done. Well done. Yeah, that's great. Jamie, how about you? Um, Okay, favorite actor... Um, I think Michael Gambon's awesome as well. I really like how he's done Dumbledore. I thought Richard Harris, uh, the late Richard Harris, was 
exceptionally good as well, but I just feel Michael Gammon really gets it. Um, I think Tom Felton's really good as Malfoy as well. I think he brings him across really well. And I really like Rupert as Ron. I think Rupert's really good as Ron. Well, that was fun. If you guys have an idea for uh, a favorite thing that you want us to talk about here on the show, email it to, fa- er, not favorites, mugglecast at staff.mugglenet.com and put it in the subject line, favorites. Excellent. Oh, and another little update here before we finish up the show. It's about the P.O. Box. Remember, please send in your things to MuggleCast, P.O. Box 223, Moundage, Kansas, 67107. I also like to thank Kalasma, who responded very generously to my request for power bars and sent a box of about 50 billion gazillion of them. Now let's do a Dorn Club, and then then Jamie will enlighten us with his latest British joke of the day. Um, Dorn Club, we're going to do a little different this week. This one was actually sent in by Brian, uh, 17, from Houston, Texas. This was sent in about a month ago, but we've sort of uh, put the Dorn Club on hiatus since then. But then we started getting emails saying, hey, where'd it go? Yeah, it's been on the back burner. Cooked on. Burmer. On the back burner. Burner. Right, Angie, on the back burner. Burmer. They call them burmers in Jersey. Yeah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Brian had idea. Brian had an idea for the Dolan Club back burmer. And he said, he he asked, how about a 16-year-old Voldemort versus a 16-year-old Dumbledore? Thanks, guys. Love the show. 16, Voldemort versus 16-year-old Dumbledore. I don't think we know enough about uh, Dumbledore when he was young. Well, hold on, hold on. He was a Triwizard Champion, isn't that right? I don't think that was ever said, but we know that um, he did things uh, during his owls or newts or something yeah. that the instructors had never seen before. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I meant. About that. Disregard the comment about the Triwizard Champion. But yeah, that's that's true. Since he was so well accomplished, I don't know. But then again, at the same time, Voldemort was know. able to create Horcruxes when he was around that age. I think I'd have to go with Dumbledore just because he's so much more open-minded, and that seems to be Voldemort's weakness. One of Voldemort's weaknesses, yeah. And actually, technically, there wasn't a 16-year-old Voldemort. He was Tom uh, Riddle. Ooh. Yeah, all right. Well, then, a 16-year-old Tom Riddle. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think Tom Riddle. I don't know who was more advanced at the time. I think that'd be interesting to see. You gotta get closer to the mic. Uh, okay, sorry. I've a lot. Dumbledore was more advanced. Okay. Say it again. I think Dumbledore was more uh, advanced. He just he knew more actual magic then, whereas Voldemort, I think, was was sort of more interested in the theory, so he could get more powerful when he left school. All right, so thanks, Brian, for that dueling club submission. And if you have any of your own that you'd like to send in, because we're all about, we're all out, we're, we're all about taking your thoughts and ideas and suggestions and putting them into the show. So you can email whatever you want to mogocast@staff.mogonet.com. Now it's time for Jamie's British joke of the day, which cannot receive submissions. This is straight out of Jamie's brilliant head. There's a guy called Merv, and he was in a really bad accident at work. And he fell through a floor tile, and he ripped off both of his ears, okay? And he was permanently disfigured. So he settled with the company he, he was working for for a, a large sum of money, and then he went on his way. And one day, he decided to invest his money in a, in, in a growing telecom business called Plexus Communications. After weeks of negotiations, he bought the company outright. 
But after signing on the dotted line, he realised he realised that he knew nothing about running such a business and quickly set out to hire someone who could do that for him. The next day, he had set up three interviews. The first guy was amazing. He knew everything he needed to and was very interesting. At the end of the interview, Merv asked him, Do you notice anything different about me? And the gentleman answered, Why, yes, I couldn't help but notice you have no ears. Merv got very angry and threw him out. The second interview was with a woman, and she was even better than the first guy. He asked her the same question, Do you notice anything different about me? And she replied, Well, you have no ears. Merv again was very upset and tossed her out. The third and last interview was the best of the three. It was with a very young man who was fresh out of college. He was smart, he was handsome, and he seemed to be a better businessman than the first two put together. Merv was anxious, and but went to Edna and asked the young man the same question. Do you notice something different about me? And to his surprise, the young man answered, Yes, you wear contact lenses. Merv was shocked and said, Sorry, Merv was shocked and said, What an incredibly observant <laughs> young man. How in the world did you know that? The young man fell off his, floor, uh, off his chair laughing hysterically and replied, Well, it's pretty hard to wear glasses with your ears. <laughs> 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 it sounded like oh, I was reading that straight off www.funny.com. I may well have been. All right, so uh, Jamie, before we wrap things up, we actually have one other announcement relating to MuggleCast and how cool you are and like all that. Well, so. uh, everyone should have heard it if they've been checking the site already. But it is a live podcast taking place at Collectomania Nide in the UK on April the 29th, which is in a couple of weeks. Uh, we should be talking to Robert Pattinson, Cedric Diggory, uh, James Not Oliver Phelps, and some other Harry Potter stars, hopefully, uh, who aren't confirmed yet. And in addition to that, we are, as you should know, holding a competition to win a place on the podcast. And you can meet the stars beforehand and appear on the uh podcast panel and speak to them and ask them questions all that kind of thing uh, all that kind of thing and in addition you get a gold pass to collect mania which is worth 175 pounds which gets you which lets you join the back of any guest queue to get autographs you can go backstage and you get a big goodie bag with loads of autographs and stuff at the end so please see the site for further wow. details on how to win thank you and goodbye. That Yay. is a great prize. It'll be in the, it'll be in the show notes. There will be a link there to all the information that you need. And that podcast will be recorded and will be going up on MuggleCast. Um, will be going up on the MuggleCast feed. So we're really looking forward to that. When is that? That is in a couple of weeks, April 29th. 29th. So we'll have it up. It'll probably be the May 6th show. Like that, yeah. Cool. I get. Thank you, Jamie. And that does wrap up MuggleCast 35. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I am Ben Shane. And I'm Jamie Lawrence and Kevin Stick. I'm Laura Thompson. Laura can be found at laura-thompson.com. I can be found at Andrew Sims. That's with the Z.com. Jamie Lawrence can be found at .com. <laughs> Good night, everybody! <laughs> Hey, Mugglecasters, this is Jessica from uh, Brigham Young University in Utah. I just wanted to say that no matter what Pottercast says, you are the truly best Harry Potter podcast ever. Um, and Jamie, I love your accent. Keep talking, man. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Mugglecast boys and Laura. 
Um, this is Maria from Ottawa, Canada, and I just wanted to say I love your show. You guys make me laugh so much. So keep up the good work. Say bye. Hey, MogulCast. This is Chelsea from Massachusetts. I'm 16 years old. I'm just trying to say that I love MogulCast. I'm recently, I have the flu, and I listen to your show every single day. And you guys made me laugh a lot. And also, when my teacher was rude to me and my class, made us stay after school, after I came home, you, got, you made my day feel like I just went to the moon and back. So, thanks for that, MogulCast. Love your show. Bye. Hi, MogulCast. This is Cassandra Stay from Canada. I just wanted to let you guys know that I really loved your show. I want to thank you guys for keeping Harry Potter alive in our hearts and giving us things to discuss in between the books and the movies. Anyways, MogulCast and MogulNet Rock. Bye. Dear Ben, I freaking love you. I think we should get married, like, right now. Okay, thanks. Rosanna from California. Yeah. Bye. Hi, this is Kelsey from Ohio, and I just got done recording I'm Muggle 11. I just wanted to let you know how great I think your show is and how much all of us fans appreciate what you give back to us. So, thanks for keeping the show nice, and we love it. Bye. Oh, yes. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ben. Um, I have to go in, I have to go in, in about half an hour because I've got to play a violin um, orchestra. I haven't ever played the violin before, but I just hope I'm a natural. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the joke's old now. The joke's old. Let's try to stay on topic and get it done in another half hour. There's a character in all of us, and now you can share your unique character with the world at showusyourcharacter.com. Join now and begin uploading your videos, photos, and profile. You can share a hidden talent, show off your celebrity impersonation, or give the show to your character community a glimpse into your life. Chat and interact with thousands of other members and get to know some of the characters of the USA. You've got what it takes to be a star. Enter the 2006 Show Us Your Character contest to find out if you're America's most unique character and you can win a chance to be featured on the computer screen, the TV screen, and even the big screen. Enter now at mongonet.com by clicking on Competitions at the left.